Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 1. We left off right there around uh, verse uh, um, 18, uh, which is, again, the primary, uh, if you will, key verse of this chapter in what uh, Paul is trying to communicate to this church. Um, and there, there's a reason for this. And uh, um, in verse 18, talking about Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 1, it says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And again, this becomes a very important subject for every believer. It becomes an important subject for church doctrine. Because here, here's what needs to happen. If, if Christ is not the first, then something else is, it's going to be idolatry. And there's so many people that put something else in front of Jesus Christ, um, in worship, in church, in their believer's life, in the Christian walk. Um, there's something else that's there. So that Christ does not have that preeminence. He is supposed to be preeminent in everything. And eventually he will be in the, it, 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 as far as, you know, in a future tense. But right now we need to make sure that we're endeavoring to do that. That we're endeavoring to, to keep that, uh, position sanctified for the Lord. And it, it becomes very apparent that churches struggle with this. Uh, this church uh, obviously needed to be told it, so we can surmise that perhaps there is an issue, perhaps there was something that was going on there uh, in, in Coloss- uh, Colossae that was causing some problems, or Paul is just, you know, hitting this right out of the gate and just wanting to make sure that this doctrine and this principle is taught first before anything else gets taught. And as we've gone through all of this, we, we, we find the reason why we find all of these things that he's praying that the church would be, that these believers would do. And we come to the, the, the actualization of it, of how they're going to go about doing it. And that's obviously through Jesus Christ and only through him. So when we get to this, it should make logical sense that he is going to be the preeminent one. It should make logical sense that he should be the first in everything. And, and this is what it's establishing. I mean, number one, it's establishing his authority. It's the authority of the body of Christ, the church. It's establishing the fact that he is from the beginning. Again, establishing the fact that he is God. He's also establishing the fact that he's the firstborn from the dead, meaning that that resurrection that took place about the uh, um, the uh, the preeminence when it comes to uh, the the victory over sins and over death, which he starts talking about in chapter two, because again the power of his resurrection. Because you have to remember, the people were not resurrected at that point. They were all you know, the Old Testament saints were in paradise, right up until Jesus Christ died on that cross. Then they start coming out of the graves, all sorts of stuff occurs, and next thing you know is they're, they're going up to heaven. 
But that payment had to be made. The shed blood of Jesus Christ, that payment had to be made. Uh, there's some guy running around, and, and I just want to make sure that I kind of dispel this because the 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 sheer number of Christians that follow after this is just uh, baffling to me. There's this guy that's running around, and he's saying that uh, when Jesus Christ uh, was nailed to the cross, and his cross was uh, put on that uh, that hill, Golgotha, that there was a secret cave underneath there where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And, uh, when they dug a hole, um, for the, uh, the, uh, for the cross and put it in, there was a crack that they didn't know. And that crack, um, went all the way down into this cave. And, uh, in that cave was this, uh, um, stone that wound up having a crack in it. And, and when he bled on that cross, that it flowed down to the cross, flowed down through the hole, flowed down through the cracks, and got onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And that is the final payment. And I'm sitting there going, wait a second. Somebody, somebody's, somebody's smoking something and it's not tobacco. Um, and I was like, first and foremost, the Ark of the Covenant was in the temple. Why do you think the veil was there? I mean, it's like, uh, so let's just stop that. Oh, and, and, no, no, there's a conspiracy theory for that. That Jeremiah hit it. I'm like, just stop, just stop. And and and, and then they're they're talking about the, the the shed blood had to be on the mercy seat in order to pay for sins. I'm like, all right, which ark of the covenant are you talking about? Because there's two. There's the one that was here on earth, and there's the one that was. The blueprint, or the, the, the actual one that the other one was taken from, that's in heaven where the mercy seat is, where blood of Christ was sprinkled. And I'm like, do you not read your Bible? And people are just following this guy and, oh, he's some, you know, archaeologist and he knows what he, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And the reason why I say that is because you, you start looking at stuff like that, and you know what? People will put him as the preeminence, not the word of God, not Jesus Christ, not what he says. And churches do that. Churches put men into the, the spot of preeminence. Many times pastors seek that. Go over to the book of Third John. I know I point this one out frequently. Because it's just a, such a, a horrific thing to see. But I'll tell you, this is the stuff that goes on in churches today. This is the stuff that happens and occurs. Here, here in Third uh, John, um, John's obviously writing to uh, Gaius here. And he's uh, clearly, you know, identifying he's doing the right thing and and uh, there's uh, another individual here, D- Demetrius, that's uh, doing the right thing. Um, but uh, he, he gets to verse 9. He says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, praying against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that he that would, and casteth them out of the church. Talk about being a jerk. I mean, seriously, this guy's, what is he doing here? He's the one that he wants to have all the power. 
And, and, and that's happened so frequently. You know, sometimes being a pastor, you've got to make sure, first and foremost, that you understand the concept and the doctrine of humility. You have to understand humbleness. Because you start inserting pride into this whole mess and you'll just blow it apart. It's just, it's just not going to work. And this is exactly what this guy did. And here's John saying, well, okay, I'm just going to go confront this guy. Because this is wrong. This is not what you do. This is not how you behave. And, and, and this becomes important because of how he's treating the body of Christ. How he's treating believers. Which God puts as a great importance in the Christian life. But what did he want? He wanted the preeminence. He gets in the church and what does he want? He wants to be top dog. He wants to be the one that everyone goes to. He wants to be the one that has all the answers. Well, I'll tell you this, that's not the case. Just because a pastor is a pastor of a church doesn't mean he's got the preeminence over the body. Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is the one. Because if, I'll tell you this, if the pastor isn't following Jesus Christ, that, and that's a church that you might want to reconsider <laughs> because you want to make sure that that's the case. You want to make sure that the pastor is the one that's putting up Jesus Christ is the one that accomplishes everything. You know, sometimes these people get in this, these churches and they, whether it's a ministry or whether it's a, the pastor themselves or whatever it may be, they get in these, these positions and these roles and, and they think they're the ones that are accomplishing it. They're the ones that are doing it. They're the ones that have, uh, if you will, grown the church. Well, I was able to bring in 50 people today. All right, was it really you or was it someone else? I'm pretty sure that it was probably the work of the Holy Spirit that did that. Well, 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 well I, I shaved and I won... You know, 17 people to Christ. Eh, let's be careful about how we take it, you know, that, 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 uh, that mindset. You just need, you need to keep yourself, you know, in this mindset. You're the tool. God's going to use you wherever he sees fit. And, and it, we have to be willing to accept that. Because submission is a key part of understanding preeminence. If we're not willing to submit, then Jesus Christ will never have preeminence in our life. If we're not yielded to the Holy Spirit, how can the Word of God have any preeminence in us? How can it have any effect on us? And what we see here in verse 18 of this passage is we see that this is what he's trying to establish. He's trying to establish this is what has to happen. Go over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, jump down there to verse, uh, oh, let's go ahead and start with verse 23. Since for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. A lot of people take issue with that. They take some issue with it. 
And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the key things about understanding this verse is understanding humbleness of mind. Humility of heart. Because it's a matter of submission. It's a matter of obedience. And people are like, well, I don't, I don't like that word. Well, that's because people don't understand what, word, what the word obedience is about. Obedience is done because of love. Obedience is done, done as a demonstration of it. Obedience is something that is, is, is given because of a care that's there. Compliance means you really don't want to do it. You don't, you, you, you're going to do it begrudgingly, as scripture says uh, of things. But here he says very clearly, he says that he's establishing a hierarchy. But again, you know, everybody jumps on this and says, well, this is all about the, you know, the, the husband and wife. No, it's not about the husband and the wife. It's about Christ. Let's get that straight. He's using the marriage as an example, if you will, an illustration. This is about Jesus Christ. Why does it, how do we know that? Even as Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Very clearly he's establishing this. Why? Because the Ephesians also needed to understand who they are following. Who it is that has the preeminence. And as he continues to go down through this, uh, he says in verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be in their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or, or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his, his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. What's the the point here? You get to a point where in verse 32 he says, this is a great mystery and I speak concerning Christ in the church. He establishes what he's talking about. While marriage here and there's marriage principles that are there that, that are important, the primary thing that he's communicating is that Christ is head of the body. That Christ is over the church. And the reason that has to be established is because men want to insert themselves in that position. Because people want to get into that role and that mindset of, well, we're number one and, and nobody's uh, uh, nobody else is in charge but me and, and, and I'm not going to listen to the Lord. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. This is the exact same, if you will, spirit that, that was in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests and the scribes and the Herodians. They were all over there at, uh, um, when Christ was around. And, and you ever look at that group? You ever look at that group? Each one of them had their own agenda. Each one of them thought they were number one. Each one of them wanted the preeminence. 
They're fighting over positions. They're fighting over positions. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's kind of sad to be able to realize that this is the type of stuff that goes on. But this is why this verse in, in, in verse 18 of Colossians is so important. Why? Because it gives the authority where the authority belongs. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, right? So let's understand this. What is an author but somebody that communicates authority? What's the root word of authority? Author. You begin to go and realize it's the one that wrote it. It's the one that said it. It's the one that published it. Who is the word of God? He is the authority. That's, I mean, and, and, and while this may seem rudimentary sometimes to us, I, there's, there's a phrase in this that I think a lot of people skip over. I know when I was young, I skipped right over it. Verse 18, he says back over there in Colossians chapter 1, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. Okay, so we establish that he's Jesus Christ. He was there from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? We believe that passage of scripture. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We believe that passage. We know that he is from the beginning, that he is from everlasting. I mean, there's there's passages of scriptures that just go over and over and over and over and over again, talking about who he is. In Isaiah chapter 9, what does it call him? As his name, the everlasting father. He's eternal. Yes, he had a body that was physical that had to be born and died. But Jesus Christ has always been. Because he is God. There's other doctrines out there that, 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 that promote this idea that, that he was actually physically created, that he was born of God, and that he is from him, and he was nothing more than just a man that earned God's state. Therefore, every man and woman and, and child can earn God-like status. So that we can all become gods. Wait, that sounds vaguely familiar, like something over in Genesis. Specifically chapter 3. No, God is God. I understand that, you know, there's there's passages that have references to things, but I, I let's just establish who the authority is. It's God. It's his word. It's, it's all about him. But he says, he was from the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. We'll talk about this firstborn a little bit more uh, in, in a bit as we kind of uh, move through this. But this idea and this concept that he is the one that is from the very beginning establishes, again, the authority. If somebody that has been there from the beginning and knows what has happened and what has occurred and can tell you everything, that a person that comes in later on isn't necessarily going to have all the knowledge, right? They're not going to understand everything. Why? Because they weren't there. Well, how do we know this? I, we don't have time to read it, but you go over there in the, uh, in the book of Job, 
And, and how many chapters does God devote to Job asking him questions? Were you there? When I created everything, were you there? When all of this was made, were you there? Are you, can you control nature? Can, can you control these beasts? Can, can you, can you try to tame behemoth and, and, and capture Leviathan? Who do you think you are, Job? Let's put you into perspective. Man is man and God is God. And if you will go over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 89, <clears throat> this, this passage <clears throat> is, uh, is messianic in nature. In Psalm chapter 89, <clears throat> and, uh, let's jump over to verse, uh, Verse 20. So, so there's a lot that's being talked about here, um, about, um, David, um, and, uh, what is being said of him. And, um, as we continue to go through, um, this psalm that's being sung, uh, it becomes very clear that it's not necessarily David as the preeminent one in this. Because as you go through in verse 20, it says, I found uh, David, my servant, uh, with my holy oil, have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established, my arm also shall strengthen him. So we begin to see this is not necessarily about David. This is about the Lord and what the Lord is doing with David. And it says there in verse uh, 22, uh, the enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of the wickedness uh, uh, afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn. Now, that should be a little bit of a hint here that this is not necessarily talking about David. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Higher than the kings of the earth. This is talking about David's lineage. This is why when you go over to those two passages where the lineage of Joseph and Mary are outlined, that it becomes very critically important. You go through the outline and you find that Joseph very clearly came from Solomon's line. David's son. Mary came from Nathan's line, who was also David's son. That one's found in the book of Luke. That one that's found in the book of Luke clearly shows that he is of the lineage and the heritage of David, that he does have authority as being man. The book of Matthew is a book about a king and his kingdom, and what does it clearly point out? He has heir and right to the throne. So we very, very clearly see all of these things being outlined, but here he is talking about being higher than the kings of the earth. Was David ever made higher than kings of the earth? 
No. With Solomon? No. Kind of went downhill after Solomon, though. Like, really bad. Like, it got ugly quick. Uh, and that's, again, what happens when sin is introduced. It gets ugly quick. Verse 28, he says, My mercy will I keep uh, for him evermore. <clears throat> My covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. Now, he, he he's clearly establishing something here, and what he's establishing is, as the firstborn, that he is going to be the one that has the authority, the preeminence. And again, he is the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn of everything, as we've uh, read previously up there in verse 15. We talked a little bit about that. Go over to Romans chapter 8 again to just kind of refresh our memory about this issue of the firstborn. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 and in verse 9. Is that the right one? Verse 29. How about that? Um, it says, from whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Well, what does that mean? He's the example. He's the example. You want to go back to the original. You want to go back to the original. That's what you want to establish as the comparison. This is the whole concept of what we look at our lives in our Christian walk, and we say, am I following the way that Christ would want me to follow. Am I doing what he wants? Am I exercising his judgment? Do I have his mind? Do I have that heart? Do, do I have all of those things that, that, that God clearly was outlining that I as a believer need to follow after, which was exemplified in Jesus Christ? He's that firstborn. He's the original. We're the image we are supposed to represent Jesus Christ in how we act, behave, think, and talk. Everything we do. That's what he predestinated. Calvinist jumps on that and talks about predestination of salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about predestinating that this is going to be how a believer should walk. This is what they're destined to do. Everybody always talks about their destiny, right? Oh, man, nowadays everybody's always talking about their destiny. Oh, it's my destiny for this. It's my destiny for that, you know. They, 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 they're trying to, if you will, create some sort of legacy for themselves or whatever so that they'll be remembered forever. It's my destiny, you know. No, our, you know what our destiny is? Our destiny is found in Jesus Christ. Our, our, our destiny is very clearly established that we as believers would follow his pattern. That's the destination. That's where we're headed in this journey. This is really what destiny is all about. It's the journey of where you're going. Well, where are you going? Well, I have a home in heaven. I have the eternal home in heaven. 
My, my, my destiny is to walk according to the will of the Lord. That's my destination. That's my destination. Every believer's destination. And you know what? Sometimes it's short walks. It's short trips. You may only go a little bit and you're doing what the will of the Lord is. Sometimes you might have to go a little bit longer and you're doing what the will of the Lord is. But the, the end idea is, is that we're doing what God wants. That's the destination. Because that's all that Jesus Christ pointed to. He said, I came to do the will of the Father. Not mine. Not the will of the flesh. Not to satisfy the physical things. But to clearly be spiritually minded according to Christ. According to the Lord. According to God. But as we go back over there to to, uh, to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, Who is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, uh, the firstborn from the dead. Now, here, here's the phrase that, that a lot of people forget. And they, you know, there's obviously about the preeminence that we talked about, but there's that little phrase, that in all things. And... And, and, and those little words right there have a huge impact in our life. In all things. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, again, a believer may think that, that uh, Christ has preeminence because they go to church on Sunday. It's like, well, you know, he, he, he's, that's what we do. We, we go to church on Sunday. Okay, well, it's good to go to church on Sunday. But is he still preeminent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Or just just Sunday? We do that, we run the risk of uh, hypocrisy. So as we begin to think about this, if it's in all things, again, we, we talk about all day, you know, every day of the week, some people, it's like, well, no, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus and God in the Bible are for Sunday and at the church. You know, we might have it in our home, but we don't bring it into the workplace. We don't integrate it into other areas of our life. Why would we do that? Because he has the preeminence in all things. Every area of our life. This is, again, why search me and try me is a very valid prayer for every believer. To reveal where he doesn't have the preeminence. Where he doesn't have the authority. Because sometimes people people will, will do that. And, and I've, I've had discussions with people before. I've, I've talked with people before. That, that it's like, okay, Jesus Christ, they say Jesus Christ is the most important in, in, in their life and, and they love him with all their heart and all their soul, all their mind, all their body, all their strength, except for, and there's one area. Except for the area where they're struggling with depression. Except for the area where they're struggling with, with anxiety and fear. 
except for the area where they have anger management issues, except for the area where they're dealing with sorrow and grief and sadness, except for the areas where, you know, they're actively trying to, to pursue happiness, uh, even though they're just chasing something that they're never going to be able to atten- attain because God's not part of it. I mean, we look at our life, and, and has God been preeminent in every decision we've ever made? Oh, let's, let's, let's not lie to ourselves this morning. <laughs> I'm including myself in this, all right? There's some dumb stuff I've done. Really dumb. Um, there's stuff that, you know, I'm never going to undo. There's stuff that uh, I'm, I'm very clearly... It's my responsibility to deal with. Uh, yeah, it's praise the Lord. It's uh, it's forgiven, um, and I need to make sure I keep it that that mindset. Um, at the same time, I also need to make sure that I don't fall back into the pattern. At the same time, I'm being very vigilant to watch out that it doesn't start creeping into my life again. So what does that mean? It means that I actively need to make sure that he is preeminent in all things. Day-to-day decisions. Hour-by-hour decisions. I mean, let's put it this way. We start getting down to the nitty-gritty of it. I'll give you an example. Jesus Christ being preeminent in all things. You sit down with a bowl of jelly beans. And you like jelly beans. Because they're just the most fantastic thing that's ever been invented. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and if you don't like jelly beans, just put whatever it is in there. You can put Brussels sprouts in there if you want. <laughs> Green beans. (laughs) But uh, there they are. And and you know that if you eat the whole bowl, it's gluttony. So as you eat it, the Lord allows you to enjoy those. You take five out and you eat those five. Do you ask God if the sixth one is okay? That he's preeminent in that decision? But I want it. As my mom used to say, people in hell want ice water. Um, (laughs) Yeah, my mom was a little brutal when it came to that. She was just like, you know, kind of in your face about, you know, if you wanted something, uh, as boys, we'd be like, oh, man, we, but we want this. And she'd be like, well, people in hell want ice water. And you're like, well, that answers that question, whether we're going to get it or not. <laughs> it's like, just kind of, hmm. <clears throat> but again, you know, there, there, there it is. I tell you, that'll control gluttony really quickly. If you're asking with every bite, if that's a sin that we wrestle with, if that's something that we struggle with, we've got to go there. 
If that's a sin that we struggle with, say, with pride, everything that comes out of my mouth, am I lifting up myself or am I lifting up Christ? Is he preeminent in my speech? Or is it all about me? Am I the one that needs validation? Am I the one that needs to make sure that everybody looks at me and knows that I'm the one that knows everything about everything when I really know nothing? We have to be very careful with that, don't we? Do we ask it with every single word that comes out of our mouth, Lord, is this what you want me to say? He's the preeminent one. Are, are we truly asking him, Lord, uh, this is what I want with my life. Is this thought correct? Lord, is this desire what you really, truly want? You know what that's going to force you to do? Get into the Bible. Because far too many times people just assume they know what it is without actually checking with the authority. And people are like, well, it's so much easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Man, I hate that saying. Man, I can't tell you how much I hate that saying. I understand it. I get, I get the concept that, you know, sometimes you gotta work around some certain things that, that, that you just gotta get some things done. And you're sitting there waiting for somebody to do something and you're just like, no, I just, this has got to get done. I gotta do this. I get the concept, but you can do it scripturally. Okay? But at the same time, when we start looking at what we're doing, what, what, what our thought processes are, what our desires are all about, we, we, we've got to enter into that, is the Lord the one that is telling me what I need to do? How do I know that he's, how, how do I know that that's the will of God? Well, first and foremost, if it involves sin, I can tell you right here, right now, it is not the will of God. If it involves deceit, it's not the will of God. If it involves anything that's even remotely looks shady, it's not the will of God. If it involves you hurting someone else, that's not the fulfillment of the word of God. Lord told me to come up and punch you today. I'm doing his will. Well, don't be surprised if the punch gets blocked and then you get clocked. Or glocked, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that one time and I was like, ugh. <laughs> but, the, but the end result is, you know, is it the will of God? In all things, in all things, he might have the preeminence. This is the idea. Look at verse 19 as we continue on with this thought. In verse 19, he talks about, For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should, uh, should all fullness dwell. When we understand this concept, that means that everything, that the completeness of all of it is found in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ is so critical. When somebody comes up and says those words, you're talking to them about salvation, and they say, well, I know. 
I know who God is. All right, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Because he's kind of key to getting into heaven. <laughs> if not, he the being the key. Because we can't get there on our own. And just because you, quote unquote, know God, doesn't mean that you know him as your savior. You might know that he's out there. But just remember, the devils believe and tremble. So, when somebody says, well, I always believe in God. Okay, that's great. How about this? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your Lord and Savior? For the forgiveness of sins? And the power of the resurrection which brings you eternal life? Have you? Do you believe that? Well, you know, I just think that when Jesus was... No, 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 no. Just pump the brakes on that one. Let's up. There's no well about it. It's either a yes or it's a no. Your name is either in the Lamb's Book of Life or it's not. There's, there isn't a chapter that says this is for the maybe, but I'm not really sure. There, there isn't a chapter for that. It's you're in or you're not. And here we find that it's the fullness. God determined that the fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of who he is, the fullness of everything about him, the fullness of his plan, the fullness of his desires, the fullness of, of his will, all of that would be found in Jesus Christ. And it pleases him. So if Jesus Christ pleases the Father, then we as believers should follow after Jesus Christ because it pleases the Father. This is the mindset. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, um, and uh, again, to kind of back up here, let's just kind of start with verse 20. He says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's establishing again who Jesus Christ is and his authority. And it comes down in verse 22 and it says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So when it comes to what the church does, it must be Christ-like. It must follow Christ's behavior, Christ's desire. Verse 23 talking about the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be his body and we're supposed to fulfill the will of God. All fullness dwells in him. All fullness dwells in the word of God. 
This is, this is why it becomes so important about the titles of Christ. There, there, there is no other books besides the Bible when it comes to the fullness of God's desire and will. There's no angel that's given golden tablets. Gabriel isn't grabbing a hold of somebody and squeezing them so that they can't breathe to give them uh, this new, if you will, revelation about who actually has, you know, authority over their earth. None of that. It's, it's Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. He's the one that's pure. Here's the one that, that, that that's perfect. He's the one that 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 follows after what God's will is. He exemplifies it. He's personified it. So when we see this, we, we immediately know that, that that we need to follow after what He's asking us to do, what He's wanting us to do. Go over to John chapter five. John chapter five. And take a look at verse twenty-three. John chapter 5 and verse 23 says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Anybody that starts talking about that they don't necessarily believe that Jesus Christ was sinless or Jesus Christ is uh, necessarily the way to salvation, go to this verse. If you don't honor Jesus Christ and who he is, God's not going to accept any honor that you're trying to give him. Why is that? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. God makes it again very clear here with this passage. Go over to John, the first chapter of John, John chapter 1 and verse 16. John chapter 1, verse 16. <clears throat> but look at what happens. This is why it's important that we understand his, his fullness. Why? Because in order for us to get any of that fullness, it's got to come from Jesus. It says, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. You want to know how to get grace in your life? The personification of grace. Jesus. What he did on the cross. The example. He filled all that grace. I mean, what what, what else is there? Because think about this. How in the world, and I'll leave you with this thought, how in the world could we think as believers that our life, our Christian life would be full without Jesus. The world will try to fill your life with whatever it may try to fill it with. Uh, believers often try to insert other things in there. Um, but, but you know, your fullness of your life, that's found in him. That's found in him. If the only, the only 
thing you had was Jesus in this life, would you be, would that be enough? Would you be content? If that's it, him. Nothing else. Not even food. Not even clothes on your back. Would that be enough? I tell you, there's a bunch of martyrs that said yes when they lost everything, including their life. Because they said, you know what? That's it. The fullness of him is going to be in us. This is going to become important as we move down a little bit further in this passage. But uh, let's just kind of, uh, we'll end here with that thought process of he is the fullness of our life. If it please God that Jesus Christ would be the fullness and we are in him and he is in us, then the fullness of what God wants in us, wants for our lives, for our actions, for our thoughts, for our words, are all going to be found in the one that's preeminent, and that is Jesus Christ. The one that has the authority, the one that is over all things, the one that is by him all things consist. Everything in our life. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to move a little bit further in this chapter. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us, especially how you would come and give of yourself so freely that we might have an eternal life uh, through you, that we would have forgiveness of sins through you, that we'd have a relationship and peace and reconciliation through you. And Lord, again, I just pray that you continue to speak to us as we uh, move into our morning service. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.